Now, we are talking about don't take a holiday from God. Is anyone still on holidays, like from work and all that? So a couple of people. Who goes back to work tomorrow for the first time? Oh, yes, that's why. That's why some of you come back for the weekend. It's always hard to go back that first day, right? You know, you've got to set the alarm tonight and you've got to be on time. And, you know, you've got to... Isn't it funny how during holidays you forget what day of the week it is? Isn't that one of those funny things with your mind? Like you think it... Your memory is always going to contain certain things. But once you get into this holiday mode, um, you don't always really – you've got to stop and think, now what is today? Because I have nothing planned or I don't know what the day of the week is. So tomorrow you'll be in for a rude shock if you're going back to work. Um, our senior pastor, Charles, is, is still on holidays. he come back at the end of this week. And, um, of course, if you're not aware, for those visiting, we have another campus in Box Hill. Um, and you can check out – all of what our church does on our website at unihillchurch.com.au. The reason why we're exploring this idea of taking a holiday from God is our human tendency is to actually, when we, when we are on holidays, so if you've been away or, you know, you're on holidays from school or university, work, we do tend to include God on that, unfortunately. So maybe we don't pray as often we don't read the Word or our devotional life or the reading of the Scriptures, you know, during the week sort of takes a little bit of a backseat. Um, sometimes we don't go to church. I don't know if you're like this, but sometimes when you go away to a different place to have a holiday, I don't know if you go to church because sometimes we sort of gets into our head that we'll take a break from going to church as well. And part of why we chose this idea to explore together over the next few weeks and and, and you can listen to what Geordie had to say if you missed that. It's still on our YouTube channel last week, which was called Got Rhythm, which was really good. Um, but one of the things is it's not just doing, you know, Christmas, New Year holidays that we can put God off to the side. It can actually happen any time of the year. And it got me thinking around when are some of the times I've been guilty of it? Because we all, we all do it. Like I'm not, not here to make you feel bad. But I, I'm as human as you are. We've all sort of put God off to the side occasionally. And there's a various reason. So it's not just because we're on annual leave from study, work or other commitments. It happens during the, the normal sort of year, yearly activities, sort of the mundane routine part of life, not just sort of these um, concentrated special occasions like annual leave or holidays and summer. So I've got a couple of reasons. They're going to come up on the screen um, behind me, which I can't see. So excuse me for turning around. Can you put up that second slide for me? I hope they've got it there. So here's, here's a couple of the other reasons why I think we sort of push God a little bit off to the side. Um, one of them is that we do it because we get distracted from God. Think of all the things that in a normal week compete for your attention. So again, not just necessarily in holidays, but you know, you've got family commitments, you know, paying bills could be a struggle. Um, you've got issues at work or, your, you know, your boss or, you know, you're running behind schedule at work or you're not really enjoying your job. If you're studying at school or university, sometimes, you know, that fills your whole world because you've got deadlines and, and study and assessments and all that sort of stuff. You've got commitments at university. Um, you've got relationships that could be going well or could actually be in a period where they're difficult and that could be just actually in the home that you live in or it could be with your family, your friends at work or at university or at school. And there's a whole lot of other things, how we feel in the moment. 
that distracts us. We've got social media, uh, we've got streaming services, you know, we've got a whole range of things that will distract our attention from God throughout any time of the year, not just during holiday period. And it's one, one, of those, one of the challenges is how do we keep God at the centre and really at the top of all of what we do and who we are all of the time, not just, not just now because it's summer holidays, but during the year, how do we actually keep God right at our centre of our focus? And so, again, Geordie spoke a couple of things about, you know, the rhythm of the word and the rhythm of communicating or prayer, talking to God. There, there are certain things that as Christians over the centuries – We've decided as a community to in, put into practice regularly so we keep God. That includes even coming to church this morning. So for those of you who are here and for those who are online, you know, just those practices help to keep us God at the centre because otherwise we get distracted with a whole lot of stuff. Another reason I thought about is discouragement. Now, you're probably not like me, but have you ever been offended by another believer or another Christian? I'm sure there's not many of us in the room. You know, where sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally people say something or they treat us in a way that we find, well, upsetting, offensive. We get a bit annoyed. And then we think, why am I going to that church or why do I go to that small group? And, you know, discouragement can come actually from a whole lot of sort of channels. Another one that, that when I was thinking of some of the things that I've had to sort of deal with over my Christian life um, with discouragement is sometimes I do the wrong thing. So I've said the wrong thing. I sin. I treat someone badly. I really mess it up and I feel guilty. I almost feel like it's not, I'm not worthy to actually be a Christian. What's the point? You know, because every now and then I fall up or slip over and, and you know, there's the sort of feelings that come from my, my thoughts that generate in my heart can make me feel like it's no point actually connecting with God. And I'm sure you've had those experiences from time to time as well. Um, and there's benefits from us actually not giving into those feelings, right? Because what happens if we're driven by how we feel, we're going to act on them. They're going to dictate how close you are to God or how much time you spend with God. When really... Um, our relationship with God should not be dictated by how we feel because we are going to go up and down emotionally from time to time for a whole range of reasons. Some of them are our own stupidity. Some of them is because of what's happened to us by other people. Sometimes it's the circumstances around us. But if we, are, if we allow how we feel in a moment to actually connect or dictate how we connect and when we connect with God, well, then, of course, most of us in this room wouldn't do it very often because that's part of the human nature that we're dealing with. Then the third one I thought about, again, just thinking of it overall, not just in a holiday period, is when division happens. And so sometimes in families, division takes place. You know, around the, I know recently around the whole vaccine thing, you know, some families have experienced some getting vaccinated, some not getting vaccinated. Sometimes in church families, there's difference in theology, there's differences of opinion, and so sometimes division can creep in or even really just sort of storm in and almost take over a group of Christians. And then sometimes people don't recover from that. I'm sure if you thought about of all the Christians you've ever known, there would be some people in your world that have not recovered from those moments 
and they either blame God or hold God accountable for division and so they feel it's not worthwhile and they actually leave their relationship with God. They leave participating in church families. And like you, I've had many moments where that was possible for me. And I, think, I don't think anyone escapes those moments, by the way. Um, but again, if we allow that to dictate, then you know how strong, how mature is our faith underneath all the surface stuff that happens around relationships, differences of opinion and all that sort of jazz. And so, you know, when I was thinking of this theme, one verse came to mind that we're going to look at today. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 2. If you have, you know, either your digital device or you have, I mean, this is so last century, it's paper. Um, But if you have a a hard copy, um, and I don't mind if you open your preferred translation. Um, I'm reading from the NIV But this one verse really stuck out to me, but I'm going to unpack the context a little bit to help you understand what the writer um, is dealing with um, when he wrote this around 2,000 years ago. We don't really know who wrote Hebrews. Many centuries ago, there was a lot of discussion on whether the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the other letters in the New Testament that are called epistles, but in modern language we call them a letter, but the, the, the writing style and the choice of words in Hebrews doesn't match all the other letters we know Paul wrote. And so a lot of, you know, experts, much, much more expert than me, sort of think that Hebrews was probably not written by Paul. But because of a lot of the Jewish Old Testament worship references, clearly this person was Jewish who had become a follower of Jesus in the very early part of the church in the first century. And really he's writing, he he sort of gives five warnings throughout the books or five encouragements and we're going to just look at the very first one. But he's really writing to a Jewish audience who are still waiting for a Messiah but an Old Testament Messiah, one that's, you know, going to deliver them from Roman power and being under Roman rule and take control so they can worship freely. Whereas, of course, you know, now, now we know looking back, that was not Jesus' intention. Um, he was bringing a liberty that was far more than just circumstantial for that generation. He was bringing freedom for all people in all nations everywhere through his death on a cross and making it available first to Jews and then to Gentiles, which is you and me. We're not Jewish, right? And so this Hebrew writing sort of, he wants to help these other Jewish first century Christians to understand that Jesus is greater than anything they've been following in what we call the Old Testament. And in chapter 1, we don't have time to read it, but in chapter 1, he focuses on the, he uses the word messengers or the angels that bring God's message in the Old Testament. So all the messages that were delivered by God, so whether it's through a literal angel, like a spiritual being, or that word can also mean a human person that brings God's message, that can also be an angel because the word angel just means messenger. But all those previous messages from God about that covenant that the Israelites had with him, the Hebrew writer is saying Jesus' message and the person that Jesus is is greater than all those other messages that we have received up until this point. And so you'll know that famous verse Right at the start of Hebrews, um, if you don't, why don't you read Hebrews this week? 
But right at the start, he, he opens up by saying Jesus is the exact representation of God. And then in chapter 1, he quotes all these Old Testament passages pointing to one who's coming that's greater than the Old Covenant. And so this is where we pick it up, right at the start of chapter 2. And um, I'm going to read from the NIV translation. He says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, so in other words, because all these messages in the Old Covenant from God, in the Old Testament, in our language, it says, because Jesus is greater than all that, he says, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Let's just pause there for a moment because that's the verse. When I was thinking about this whole idea of us taking a holiday from God, one of the things is all those three things I mentioned, discouragement and disunity and and distraction, we can drift away from God. That's our human experience. That's been my experience from time to time. It's probably been your experience as well. If if, If this writer inspired by the Holy Spirit is writing to us, that we have to pay very careful attention to what we've heard about Jesus because otherwise we will drift. That means drift is possible. Why else would he say that? We can actually drift away from the message of Jesus, the person of Jesus, our relationship with God through Jesus if we don't pay careful attention to all that Jesus did, said and is. And that's part of the, the thing. This is not a new problem. You know, it's not like, you know, in, in the year, I think the first time I've ever seen it, but 2022, better get it right, what year we're in. Um, I heard a joke the other day about how really this is really 2020 being reset for the third time. Um, it feels like that, right? But in 2022, it's not like we have this unique issue that we can drift away from our relationship with God through Jesus It's right there in the very first Christians, right? And in fact, not only first Christians written for the Jewish audience in the first century, but also people that we call, you know, Orthodox Jews, people who always worship the one true God, Yahweh. We can all drift. That's the the challenge that we face. So his concern for his audience, these Jewish people in the first century, is helping them not to drift, prevent it. Because it can, does, will happen. So what can we do not to drift? So here's, here's what he does in just this one paragraph. We just, you can see it on the screen. It says in verse, uh, verse 2, For if the message is spoken by angels, so again that's you know, whether it's human or an actual spiritual angel being, was binding and every... Uh, violation and disobedience received, it's just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? So let's just pause there. So I want you to follow his argument here, his theology. He's saying to these Jews, all those stories you read in your scriptures, you know, from the Exodus right through where our people, our nation, the Israelites, disobeyed their covenant with God, And God reacted to that. So, you know, they were taken captive. They'd experienced famine. There was, if really all of those Old Testament stories in our language are about covenant enforcement by God. So if the Jews stayed in their relationship with God, he provided for them, he protected them, he blessed them. We know a lot of Old Testament verses about, you know, we'd be blessed in the morning, blessed 
when we get up, when we go out, when we come in. But if they, dis, if they disregarded their covenant or relationship with God, there were consequences to that. So this is what he's alluding to. He's saying if we, we know firsthand as the Israelites that our ancestors, when they ignored the messages that came from God, that there was a consequence for that, how much more should we who know Jesus take this message seriously? Do you follow that? So there is no other option after Jesus. <laughs> he is the only way to God. There's nothing coming. We're not waiting for any extra, right? We are living in the moment where Jesus has come and paid the penalty and made it possible for any human being to have a relationship with God as a free gift. And so he's saying to these Jewish thinkers who understand those Old Testament stories that we read, you know, like Babylon, the Babylonians come to take them captive and they're there for 70 years and they've got to go back and rebuild the walls and the temple. We, we know, you know, if you've been a Christian a while, you know some of those stories. He's alluding to that. That's what Jews are thinking as they read this verse. It's what we call the, there's a Jewish teaching technique of the ancient world called the how much more principle. Jesus actually used it quite a bit. Very, not wasn't unique to Jesus. It was quite common in the way that you could teach people in that Jewish culture. That is, they would take one illustration that wasn't quite as significant and as important as really what they want to get to, but they use that to say, well, now we know this is true. How much more is this true? And that's what this author is doing right here. So we know there's consequences if you don't stay in relationship with God. And notice the word he used, great salvation, right at the end. This, this, is a greater self, this is a greater covenant than the first one through Jesus Christ. Now, look, let's keep reading. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, so he's talking about Jesus, this new covenant with God that's open to anybody. You don't have to be born an Israelite to actually receive this covenant from God. So he's saying this salvation that was announced by Jesus, that's the Lord, was confirmed by those who heard him. So they're the apostles, the people around Galilee, the towns he visited, the miracles that took place that they witnessed firsthand. You know, people witnessed his resurrection. They, you know, they saw him be crucified. They saw him be ascended into heaven. There were witnesses to all the events we read in the gospel story. And so we assume that this, this author didn't actually, wasn't one amongst the first believers like the apostles because he's referencing that other people saw it firsthand and heard it from Jesus directly. So he says it was confirmed by those who heard him, that's Jesus. God also then testified with signs and wonders. So miracles, you know, the raising of the dead, the apostles started planting churches, um, the first in Jerusalem, then they went to a non-Jewish town called Antioch, planted the first church there. And, and then it just grew from that through the persecution came that pushed Christians, Jewish Christians outside of Jerusalem, which took the gospel right around the world eventually. And it says, so those signs and wonders are a testimony to this new covenant, this message from Jesus. And he said, then the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his will, were made known to everybody, which, of course, in a Pentecostal church like ours, we, we love the gifts of the Holy Spirit flowing and moving. So he, here's his argument. He says, we better pay careful attention to what we've heard from Jesus, about Jesus, 
through Jesus because we can drift. And if there were consequences for people drifting from their old covenant, which was not as good as the one we've got, you better watch out because there's nothing better coming. You follow that? And we know it's true because there were first-hand witnesses. You know, he says the Lord himself spoke it. Then, of course, the church has spread around the world. The gifts of the Spirit were manifest. We know there's evidence outside of just the people that knew Jesus personally that this is true. So that's why he's saying it's not important. It's so important not to ignore the message about Jesus. So even though we're not a Jewish practicing audience, the principle that he's teaching in verse 1 of chapter 2 is true for us. We drift for other reasons, but we still can drift. Now, it's interesting when you think of the word drift, if you just put up that next slide for me, thank you. The, I looked up the original language that it's written in because it's not written in English, in case you weren't aware. This, um, this document here is 2,000 years old. It was written in a form of Greek that was very popular at the time. Now, the word drift was a bit of a nautical term, but it's actually used for a whole range of ideas and concepts. And so in, in the world in which this text was first written, they would use this word for various things. And we know it not just from the manuscripts that we get our scriptures from, but also there's other manuscripts that have been discovered from the same period. And it shows how they use the word in normal speech. So we're using the, you know, the English equivalent of drift. But this word has a range of meanings. So it could be things like, you ever, in fact, Sue and I had this funny experience just yesterday. We couldn't remember someone's name. You ever had a memory fade? And even when you see someone, you, and you're not like me, I'm sure, but sometimes you go, I'm so, they're coming towards you. I, don't re- I can't remember your name. What's your name? What's your name? So they used it. We know from other ancient documents, this word in the Greek language is not the same as the current Greek language. Some similarities, but it's not exactly the same. They used it for things like when your memory fades, like drifting away, right? So when you can't, you haven't spoken about it, you haven't thought about it for a long time and the details become foggy and you can't remember everything. Probably old age as well. That's what I'm getting at the moment. But that's another story. But they also used it for things like, now, you know, they didn't have the liquid containers that we have, all the plastics and metals and stuff. You know, they used pottery. And sometimes you get a small minute crack in the pottery that was storing your water and you're unaware that slowly it's seeping out and so again it had this they use it for that idea that actually you go back to go and get yourself um, some water out of your big pot and it's empty and it was full yesterday and no one else has been drinking then you see all the water you know drifting off it was that idea so here's the concept you don't notice it you don't notice it when it's happening and this is, again, the author's chosen this word on purpose. This is not, he hasn't just sort of pulled it out of the air, hoping to make, get his message across. He's using a word that as the first readers read this or it's spoken to them, because most people couldn't read in that culture, the, the little church home leader speaking this letter to them, telling them what it says, they get it straight away, just with that imagery of a pot and a minute seep where you don't know you're losing what's so valuable, water, because then you've got to go and find more or go to drag it back to the house. They didn't have taps like we do. And so this is the idea that you don't notice it until it's too late. 
Another way they used it is when your ring falls from your finger, slips away, was a, a better English translation. I remember that happened to me once. Um, I used to be a bit bigger than I am now. I've been working on this figure for years, so I'm not about to give it up. I gave up some of it, but I might, uh, might stop there. I'll see how we go. Christmas didn't help, that's for sure. But I'd lost all this weight, and um, Sue and I were, were away um, speaking somewhere and got, got into this hotel room, and I thought, I'll wash my hands. You know, we'd, we'd been travelling. I, I washed my hands, and my wedding ring slipped from my finger. I didn't feel it. Has anyone lost a ring and you have no idea how it came off your hand? So again, this is another way this word was used in that culture. Now, the only reason I became aware that my ring had slipped from my finger is I heard it hit the basin and I went bing, bing, bing. And then you know what it did? It was like 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 one of those comedy slow motion movies. It went round, 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 down the plug hole. Well, I panicked because, you know, being married to Sue for 35 years, I need this ring. In fact, on the inside of the ring, I've got the date we got married, which is always, that's a, that's a tip for you boys. Go and get engraved tomorrow. If you can't remember, just pull it off and have a look, right? Well, I panicked because my ring went down through the plug hole and vanished. I thought, oh, no, I think I screamed out, oh, Sue, you'll never guess. And because we're in a place that was not ours, I thought, I'm never going to be able to, you know, get to the S-Bend and... Anyway, long story, I did manage to actually unscrew it first. I did thought I'll need a spanner, but I could do it with my hand. But when I opened it, you ever opened the S-Bin of a sink that's never been opened before? There's a couple of lines from the movie Kenny I'd like to use, but uh, there's a stench down here that's going to outlast religion. That's one of them. I'm pulling out hair lollies that it sort of melt. I know, I know, I'm making you gross. But at least I've got your attention now, haven't I? It was like a movie, you know, like, it's like, you know, the Pink Panther movie where he rings a doorbell and he pulls it. I'm pulling out stuff. I'm thinking, where's all this stuff? All I want is my ring. And eventually it comes out. That's the, that's the concept here. Slips away. You don't notice it. And um, the most common way they would use this word was a, a nautical term for, sh- for boating or shipping and and fishing. So the idea of it drifting away or slipping away, um, the word drift, which is a very good translation that's been chosen by the translators for us, for us who speak English today and how we read it, it's the concept if you don't anchor a boat properly and it slowly drifts. Now, has anyone been in a boat where you, you've drifted and you're not, at first you're not aware of it? It's quite, it's quite a scary experience because... Here's the problem with drifting. Speaking as someone who loves fishing anywhere, anytime where there's water, I'll throw in a line and have been known to do so. We used to go um, down to Port Albert, so just the other side of Wilson's Promontory. Beautiful part of the world, great location if you're into fishing during the summer. There's a lot of the fish come in from Bass Strait to spawn. So you, I, I caught a 38-inch flathead down there once, fed us for about five meals. And so we would go down there regularly and a friend of mine had a little aluminium boat. We'd go out together and I'd take my kids occasionally and all that stuff. But, of course, it's all channels down there. So you've got sand banks and sand bars sort of hidden under the water. So you really have to know where you're going and how to navigate around that area in Port Albert. And sometimes we'd, we'd, because we're fishing in this channel, that's actually quite close to the entrance where it goes straight out into Bass Strait. 
Sometimes we'd actually go right near the entrance to fish there, try and catch a few little gummy sharks or something like that. And so we th- I'd throw the anchor out, and if you've, ever, if you've never done it, you have to actually let a fair bit of rope out, and then you've got to hold it until you feel that the anchor actually digs into the bottom of the sand and pulls back on you. It gives you a bit of resistance because then you think that the anchor's taken. And then you leave it, give it a little bit more rope because if you tie it too tightly, um, you actually tip the boat forward and you can fill the boat with water. That's not a good thing. Um, but you can't let out too much rope or you're going to swing too much in the wind because a boat always points towards the wind. And so it's a, you know, you get, it's a bit of an art form. And so sometimes we'd get it right. Sometimes we would think we were anchored, you know, so then we'd sit down, grab our fishing lines with our hooks and who likes cutting up smelly bait? You know, pilchards, you know, white bait. It's the smell on the fingers that lasts for a few, a few days. I'd cut up all the bait, put it on the hook, throw the line out, we'd be ready, we'd sit down ready to go. And all of a sudden I'd look up, you know, we're surrounded by sand, sandbars and I think, is that sandbar moving? Which, of course, the sandbar's not moving, right? Who's moving? We are. So even though the anchor had given me that, mm, like, grab, it hadn't fully taken, and we start to drift. Now, when you're in a condition like that, so fishing around a whole lot of mud flats and sandbars, it's not a good thing to drift because you always drift towards danger. You never drift against the current. You drift with it. And so the next thing we know, we're nearly in the breakwater of Bass Strait because we, we tried to fish so close to the entrance. That's, that's dangerous territory. Other times we've drifted into a sandbar or you can't see, there's only two or three feet under the water, there's a mud flat and you just boom, you just sort of get stuck on that, you have to get out and pull it off. And you know, I've drifted so many times, I understand what this writer's telling us about because here's the problem with drift. You never drift towards something that you need, you always drift towards danger. And again, that's what, you know, the author the author's using this nautical idea. So even in that ancient world of boats being tied in a harbour or anchored offshore, and they would understand if they weren't anchored or, or roped properly, they'd lose their ships. They would slowly drift and they would be unaware until it was too late. And so that's the concept that he's using here. You always drift away from the place you want to be at. You never drift towards it. So take that concept, which is embedded in our scripture today of Hebrews 2 verse 1. Make it, you know, use it as a spiritual illustration, which is what the author's doing. He's saying we're always going to drift away from Jesus if we're not anchored properly. If we're not really, you know, giving Jesus our full, undivided, passionate attention. You're going to drift and you're not going to notice it until you hit something that's dangerous and it's almost too late, as in there's a consequence to it. You never drift downhill if you, you know, you always, sorry, you always drift downhill, never uphill. You always drift towards something that's actually not good for you. And that's what he wanted his first audience to know who read this verse. And that's what I want all of us to know, whether you're watching online or you're here in the room with me. That's the danger of not keeping Jesus at the centre of your life is if you're not anchored to him through regular disciplined practice, spiritual practices, even like coming to church this morning to celebrate the salvation that we have 
through Jesus is your way of preventing yourself not drifting. And I bet some of you in the room and even some people watching online that you thought twice about it this morning, right? It's not, it's not that none of us do that. And that's just the pastor, by the way, but we all do that, right? But you're going to drift and it'll be too late. You won't notice where, where it's, it's sort of when you hit a sandbar in a metaphorical sense that you realise you've been drifting far too long. And this is what this guy wants us to know, this author, that how do you prevent from drifting? So here's, here's what he does. And go to, go to my last slide for me. Thank you. What he does is he uses, in English, it probably doesn't capture the emotion that's in the Greek language that he wrote it in. So he uses this, you know, in English it says, we must pay more careful attention to Jesus, basically. So he's to his teachings, to his life, to our relationship with him. We must pay more careful attention to Jesus. It sounds a little bit clinical. It's almost sanitised because actually in that original language, so again, the way they used words, and we know from other ancient documents that have been discovered, this word that's, you know, careful attention in English, which is technically correct. The translation's a technically correct one, but it, it just sounds a bit for, too form, formal or formula. What's careful attention? Well, in their world, they'd use that same word for someone who is addicted to something. So when's the last time you would describe your relationship to Jesus as you're addicted to him? And we use addiction for, you know, drugs, alcohol, gambling. We use it for the negative stuff. But trying to recapture some of the original emotion behind this word that he uses, that's careful attention in English. But in the Greek, it's, it's actually clinging on to it because you understand there's nothing more valuable or important than your relationship with Jesus. Now, if I had have asked you right at the beginning, before I even started, just write a list of the five most important things that you have in your life. I could almost guarantee none of us would have written down Jesus. We think of our car, our house, our job, our family. You know, we think, we think of external things, sometimes material things or, or relationships. Things. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad, right? Please don't misunderstand me. But what he wants us to know, again, in the first century, if you read this, you're not going to read, oh, careful attention. Every now and then I've just got to think about Jesus. What you're actually going to hear if you are a speaker of this language that it was first written in is you've got to hang on to it because it's the most important thing you've got. Salvation through Jesus is the most important thing you can have in your life. It, it can't compare with anything else. But, of course, our world tells us the very opposite, right? Our, when's the last time our culture told us that our devotion and passion for Jesus is the most important thing? It tells you your iPhone 13 is the most important thing. And that, you know, the Macca's deal this week, well, that's the most important thing. You ever notice on commercials, they, they, they don't really sell you the product, they're selling you an experience, right? So you see people laughing, having good... They, they're trying to say, if you take this, if you go and spend your money on this item, you will be like these people that you see, which, of course, is a lie, but we all fall for it all of the time. But what this scripture is telling us 
Careful attention actually means to grab onto it and never let it go because your very life depends on it. So, you know, careful attention is probably not, just kills the emotion of the word in the original language. It's, it's very, you know, proper in English maybe, but it's, it needs a bit more, you know, like there's, there is nothing else. You know, so, so do we really believe that our salvation is so great that nothing else compares to it and we should be hanging on to it with everything we've got? Because that's what he's telling us to do. And if we don't have that attitude, we drift. And there's consequences for drifting. We know that from all the Old Testament stories. That's really what he's saying here. This is a passionate grasp of Jesus where you never let go. You can't be casual with Christ. You can't have a casual relationship with your God. It doesn't work that way. There are consequences if you choose to drift in and out of your relationship with God, which, again, we've all done it, right? We've all done it. But we know the consequences when we feel far from God or we feel like we have drifted from God. So my encouragement to you for this year is, you know, we don't take a holiday from God just because we're on annual leave, but we don't take a holiday from God ever because through Jesus Christ, we have the greatest gift and there is no greater salvation. There's nothing better to come and it really is the most valuable thing that you have in your life because what the world tells us is think about the things you don't have. You don't have the latest phone. You know, you don't have a relationship. You don't have the best job. You don't have the biggest house. You don't have the best car. That's how the world makes you think. But what I want you to think of today is what you do have. That's the only thing you're taking into eternity. All your other stuff ain't going with you when you're buried in the ground. The only thing you're taking is your relationship with Jesus, that great salvation. So you better hang on because your life does depend on it. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? I want you to think about what you would think is the most important thing. And not, again, please, I'm trying to encourage and strengthen and support the way you want to connect with God regularly, passionately. And this is not about guilt. We're all human, but God loves us so much that we know the Scripture says he sent his only son. If you've never made a commitment or never even thought about there's a God that really loves you and that he's made a way to have a relationship with you that's totally free. You're not disqualified. You're not unworthy. You know, maybe you've been told that by other Christians or maybe you've thought that because of stuff you've done. You know, the Bible uses this word sin, which means to be missing the mark in your relationship with God. You haven't quite hit it. That's what the word sin means. And we've all missed the mark. That's why God sent Jesus. And that's why Jesus came willingly. And he gave up his life, taking the penalty that God should have measured onto us. He took that onto himself on our behalf. That is a great salvation. And you can make that decision today, or you can even make a choice to explore who Jesus is if you're still not really sure want to make that choice just just take one step towards God because he's right there waiting for you that's certainly my experience with God and if you if you want to pray that if you want to make that choice you can do that right now just say God I just want to know you there help me and he will 
And if, if is that you, come and chat to me after the service if you're, you're here with us or if you're online, send me an email. We have a contact tab on our website, unihillchurch.com.au and I'll be in touch with you, help you explore your relationship with God because my experience with God, He transforms us. But for those of us who already know our relationship with God, what's the most important thing to you now? What's your priority this year? You know, maybe you had a priority of finding a new job, changing career. Maybe you had a priority of, you know, hitting certain goals. I'm not saying any of that's bad. But, you know, your first priority has got to be Jesus and your relationship with God. Otherwise, you're going to drift. And, you know, the Christian road historically is littered with people who have drifted. But the one thing that God is going to say to us when when we meet him face to face is well done, good and faithful servant. It's just faithfulness. We're not perfect. But let's keep following God from our hearts. And Father, I just pray, Lord, for all of us this year, that this verse, Hebrews 2 verse 1, we would grasp with passion and everything we've got, make it the most important thing, our relationship with you, God, through your son, Jesus, and everything that Jesus demonstrated and taught us, that we would take hold of that because we don't want to drift anymore. Lord, may that be our prayer for the year, our focus for the year. May that come back into our memory. May your Holy Spirit encourage strengthen and convict sometimes, even rebuke us when we are drifting. Lord, may we be faithful servants in 2020 throughout our families, both locations in our church. May we be discipled only by you, not by our world. And Father, may we keep you as the most important thing this year. So I'm asking God on behalf of all of us that you would help us to do that. Us imperfect people, but but we love you. We, We understand the great salvation you've given us. And Father, help us not to drift. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.